This is our league, and this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network. Stand by, 15 seconds to air. Stand by, old camera, and videotape. Ready with your opening graphics. Stand by, Howard. Here we come, Frank. Ready, Don. Stand by, audio, your opening music, and roll tape. Take tape. Celebrating 150 years of college football. All our riders, even if they don't mean to ride about sense of place, they do it. Place is like a velvet backdrop on a stage. It's rich and lustrous and frayed. You can't understand the region if you've never seen it at battle with itself. You go to a football game in the Southeastern Conference, that's one of the great spectacles on earth. Part of it's the heat. Part of it is the desperate history, surviving it. White folks and black folks surviving our history and winding up inside these concrete cathedrals. Best not come to Tuscaloosa for a three o'clock kickoff. Best not come to Auburn, you know. Best not come to LSU at night because not only will we knock you in the dirt in football, but, you know, we'll scare you to death leaving the stadium. To see the modern-day South still at war with itself, but now, hopefully, without so much at stake. We got class, we're gonna find it out. Come on, come on, come on. 
He arrived in South Carolina in 2004, now 59, and eager to be back in the SEC after a brief and disappointing run in the pros. Steve Spurrier's task was to build on the foundation laid by Lou Holtz and to focus on keeping in-state talent in-state. It's just something special about playing for your home state, where you're from. Marcus Lattimore was from a small town near Greenville and one of Spurrier's biggest recruiting successes. My mom played a heavy influence on, on my decision and she was the one that I confided in. Coach Spurrier, at first, uh, my mom wasn't a fan because he was standoffish. I think it was maybe two weeks before signing day. He drove down to my house up in Duncan, South Carolina. And my mom put on some music, you know, as we're about to have dinner. And he says, all right, Yolanda, which is my mom's name, before we eat, we got to dance a little bit. And they start doing the cha-cha slide. I was shocked, to be honest, you know, because he still can move. And when my mom saw that, saw him open up, saw him be human, uh, she was sold. And, and I was sold at that point. In 2010, Spurrier's freshman running back would gain over 1,600 yards in a nine-win season. First down at the 50. Highlighted by an upset of the number one-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. Early, and Lattimore is inside the 30. Underneath, Lattimore. Sending Columbia into a state of delirium. Everything aligned that day. Quick drop, left side, fade route, Jeffrey, Enzo touchdown Carolina. Uh, Steven Garcia, our quarterback, was 17 of 20. By far, the best game he, he ever played there. Play action, under pressure, he's sacked, the ball's on the ground. Sometimes, if you can get ahead of a team, you can sort of knock them out of their game plan, and that's what happened. Option right side, pitch to Lattimore, block from DeMarco, touchdown Carolina. In mid-November, Lattimore and the Gamecocks even beat their coaches alma mater to secure the SEC East title. Marcus, he could take over a ball game and, and just make yards and sort of shed tacklers. He carried the ball 40 times. It was a night I'll never forget. And we roll back in at three in the morning and there's 15,000 people sitting in the stadium. I mean, it was like the moment that, that these fans have been waiting on a long time. In the 2010 season, it was still somewhat of an enigma going into the year on what we would be. We had a new quarterback named Cam Newton. Thought he could be a really good quarterback, but look, until you get him under the lights, you don't know what you're going to get. We go down 17 0 to Clemson. If they can strike here, it'd be huge. He had thrown two interceptions that day. Oh, intercepted! But when the game was on the line, he wanted the ball. Here's Newton. Oh, look at the time he gets it. Finally hit at the end. He's got a man wide open. End zone ahead. Touchdown, Terrell Zachary. Cam rallies the team back, and we beat Clemson in overtime. 
I said, guys, we got us a real dude. Cam Newton's football journey had been plagued by trouble. At Florida, he'd backed up Tim Tebow for two seasons and then was suspended after being arrested for stealing a laptop computer. He'd left Gainesville and spent a year in junior college before committing to Auburn for his junior season. I believe that a person should not be thought of as a bad person because of some senseless mistake, he said at the time. Cam Newton was at Auburn looking for a second chance. Next week against South Carolina, he ran the ball 25 times for 176 yards. Week after week, Newton and Auburn kept surviving and thriving. And that kept them undefeated all the way to the Iron Bowl in Tuscaloosa. Whereas always, Alabama's million-dollar band would get the crowd fired up for the school's annual war. rolled early and often, taking a 24-0 lead. We came out of the gate so strong. We were rolling. I mean, it was everything that we had was working. We hit Mark Ingram for a big play. He gets hit and chased from behind. The ball goes end over end and rolls out of the back of the end zone. So it's a touchback and it's Auburn's ball. And that's when we're like, okay, this is really strange. The play of the game was the script by Antoine Carter because Alabama was going to score on that drive. Still down 24-0, Auburn finally scored well into the second quarter. It was looking pretty bleak. We probably played the worst half of football that we had played all year. I told the team that we're gonna get the ball after halftime. We're gonna go down and score the first possession we got the ball. I saw the whole demeanor change on the sideline. And Auburn just kept fighting and kept battling. They had some things go their way. Everything that could have gone wrong after accumulating that 24-point lead did. I got injured in the game. I had a concussion. It was very, it was just, it was bad. It was scary. We played one of our worst games, and it bit us in the butt. Final score, Auburn 28, Alabama 27 leaving Nick Saban stunned and the saga of the Iron Bowl with another classic, this one to be known in the annals as the Camback. It was a game of the ages, and it was just one of those that as you reflect back on, man, I just sit there and go, wow, I'm just so blessed to be a part of something that special. It's one of those games that will never leave you. 
because your time in college football is just so short. Like it feels like forever, but like looking back on it, it's such a small period of your life. And those things you might never get over. And I know it's a game, but the Iron Bowl is not just a game. The winner is Cam Newton of Auburn. Cam Newton's second chance season would be further cemented when he won the Heisman Trophy as the star of the top-ranked team in the country with 28 touchdowns in the air and 20 more on the ground. Thank you, the Auburn family. Uh, thank you for all the support. At 13-0, Auburn was heading to the BCS National Championship game to take on the also undefeated second-ranked Oregon Ducks. Complete. Touchdown, Auburn, Cody Burns. The Tigers were seeking their first national title since Suge Jordan had led his 1957 team to a perfect season but they'd have to fight for it. Touchdown, Oregon. The Michael James. The game was tied with just over two minutes remaining when one play epitomized the magical feel of the entire season. Dyer, the freshman, is wrestled down at the 46-yard line. Pleasant, and He's he gets up. back up. Dyer gets back up. Was he not on the ground? Take a closer look here, Herbie. Well, he comes down on top. The right knee is the question. Absolutely. Auburn wins the BCS National Championship. I've had people tell me my father only had two and three weeks left of his life, and that's all he wanted to see. And I got people telling me these stories with tears in their eyes, and they say, thank you. Come on, Eddie, come out of the break, man. Come out of the break. Auburn's national title was particularly painful to swallow for Nick Saban and Alabama, who looked to refocus in 2011 and improve on their disappointing three-loss season. Blue 42, set, go. He's out, Gino, cut the one. That's it, that's it, roll and run, that's it right there. All right, good job. Let's go, up and down, let's go, let's go, let's go. I've never seen a team and a coaching staff have so much ambition and so much fire lit underneath themselves to have success. It was, I mean, there was no, nothing but winning a national championship in our eyes. But on April 27, 2011, disaster struck. A tornado ripping through Tuscaloosa and Birmingham. You were looking at a live, large, violent tornado wrapped in rain approaching downtown Tuscaloosa. And this thing is just extremely, extremely violent. 64 people died with another 1,500 injured. If you've never seen a tornado or been in one, you never realize the magnitude of the strength, the damage, what, what can happen. Coach Saban just called a team meeting just to see who was okay. Carson Tinker was in his home with his girlfriend. They had to go into the bathtub and they pulled the mattress on top of themselves. But the tornado came and just lifted him right up. His roof came off and he went up in the air. He was holding on to it, snatched the right of his arm. He went one direction and his girlfriend went another direction. 
she didn't live, and Carson, we didn't know for a while if he was okay or not. Not knowing where your brother at, somebody that you fight with every day, is, is stressful. We didn't even know, was he gonna be able to walk again? Like, he was in intensive care. Like, we would go up to see him every day. To see the aftermath and how it affected so many people uh, was also something that was beyond my comprehension. Dead bodies, cars flipped over, like it hurts. And it just let me know, like, your life can be just be, you know, over with at any time. It makes you realize that some things that go on are about people, not about winning a game, you know, not about scoring a touchdown. Nick Saban would mobilize his team to help with the recovery. They'd build 17 homes, clean debris, repair roofs, and raise funds for relief and reconstruction. I think his reaction to that showed a human side to Nick Saban that fans had not seen. By the time the 2011 season started, Carson Tinker, the long snapper who'd lost his girlfriend in the tornado, had recovered to rejoin the team. And the inspired Crimson Tide got off to an 8-0 start, heading into a showdown with top-ranked LSU in Tuscaloosa. Here's Lacey. It would be a war of attrition, a defensive slugfest, and the Tigers managed to pull out a 9-6 overtime win. I remember going into the locker room, a lot of people had tears in their eyes. At that point, you understand that a one, one loss could mean that you don't go to the national championship. But two months later, Alabama would be ranked second and in New Orleans fighting for that national championship, getting another shot at LSU. And they knew that we got another chance. We was gonna go in there and oppose our will. The SEC showdown wouldn't be the prettiest game to watch, and TV ratings were way down. But Nick Saban couldn't have cared less. Jefferson's in trouble! His defense painted a masterpiece. LSU crossed midfield only once the entire game. It wasn't our day. Yeah. Yeah, it still hurts. I promise you that. I'd, I'd love to have that one back. And Richardson breaks free on the sideline. Alabama 21, LSU nothing. Nick Saban's second national championship in Tuscaloosa and his third overall. It was a perfect season for us to go and win that national championship for Tuscaloosa, man. To go win it for the University of Alabama, for the Alabama fans that you know, lost people. Like, we needed that. It's every college athlete's greatest fear, especially if you have a shot at a pro career. Marcus Lattimore looked to have that shot, even after a knee injury had sidelined him in 2011. Lattimore up the gut. He worked his way back and had found his form by October 2012. 
when South Carolina hosted Tennessee. I'm about to be a first-round pick. I'm about to be a multimillionaire. The adversity, it introduces you to who you are. Lattimore wrapped up, and Lattimore is hurt. Oh, no. Holding his right knee. Oh, no. I never thought I would be a guy that got hurt. You would always say, that's not going to be me. Football was all I did uh, from the time I was seven years old. I wanted to be there so bad for my teammates because I was so used to being the workhorse, so used to carrying the load. It was heartbreaking when I couldn't be that guy. Uh, and you know, at 23 years old, you retire from the game. What do I do now? Don't compare yourself to nobody. It's all about effort. Today, Lattimore tells his story to audiences all over. Everybody right here, right now, is gonna go through something. When are y'all gonna get, gonna get hurt? When is y'all gonna have a death in the family? You have to keep your faith. These injuries that happen here at South Carolina, they are part of me, they are part of my story. I can't run from it. When people look at me, they see the injury. He also serves the South Carolina Athletic Department in the same capacity. I would not have the impact that I have today if I didn't go through what I went through. That is my passion, uh, being able to share my story. I'll never forget, I was walking into a, a grocery store, a woman in her 80s. She started crying because when she was going through cancer, my story helped her overcome some of the things that she was facing mentally. It's just so cool to see that. It's cool to see that because I never would have thought that would be me. It's my, one of my favorite quotes from Winston Churchill. If you're going through hell, keep going. Three years after Lattimore went through hell, his coach would abruptly decide it was best to walk away with his team at two and four. And I think the team needs to hear a new message, a new voice from another coach. Our team sort of changed. Our defensively, we were just as bad as the year before. We had some disgruntled players and even a coach or two, a little disgruntled. When it was obviously that I, that I was finished, I thought it was best to go right then. I didn't plan on going out this way. I planned on being on the shoulder pads of the team coming out of the Georgia Dome with an SEC championship, but that didn't work out. For him to let it go, I know that was a, a, a tough decision for him. That's just who he is. When things aren't working, when things aren't going the way they're supposed to go, let's give somebody else a try. I hate the way it happened, but I did not want to be the showcase of all the games the rest of the season. Spurrier's last game against Tennessee. Uh, let the team be the focus of the, of the game and let me get out of here. In a world where a coach's firing is almost inevitable, Spurrier left the Gamecocks on his own terms. Having delivered three 11-win seasons, he retired as the winningest coach ever at South Carolina. 
He, without question, took that program to heights it had never even sniffed before. They did not win an SEC championship. Gonna throw it as a man. What a play. But to beat Clemson for five straight years. Now this was right about the time Dabo Sweeney was getting it going at Clemson too. But he beat him for five straight years, which had never happened. You know, for everything that he's done for the university and, and, and how he left it, uh, I know the fans here are forever grateful because I, I know I'm forever grateful for what he did. While there will always be a place in his legacy and his heart for South Carolina, in 2016, Spurrier returned to Florida to serve as an ambassador for his alma mater. In 2012, the SEC expanded once more with Missouri and Texas A&M beginning conference play both offering new outposts for top recruits across the South to consider. I think their fan bases fit seamlessly in with our fan bases. Missouri, whose football program dated back to 1890, made a quick impact as the Tigers won an SEC East title in 2013. Hello, touchdown! I was there when they clinched their first SEC East Division championship. It's Mizzou, folks. They received their first fine for rushing the field that night because of the passion that played out. The very next year, they did it again, winning the second straight SEC East title. This one's pretty sweet for Missouri on the road. As for the passion down in College Station, Texas, it was a perfect fit for the SEC. And on the field, the Aggies brought a secret weapon to the conference in 2012, a redshirt freshman who played the game like a kid out of the Texas dust in the 1930s. Johnny Manziel would be a nightmare for SEC defenses, piling up a host of records. He was really different from a quarterback perspective than, than anybody that we've seen in the SEC over the years. You know, the kind of guy everybody wanted to be around. Life of the party, you know, on the field, off the field. The guy that the guys on the team like playing it with. Manziel, this is what he does. It was that childlike enthusiasm. That freelance gut instinct kind of thing. And not to mention, it's a guy who looks like you or me. It's not six foot five, 280 pounds of just brute force. It's a 5'11 kid out there who is making those big bad guys look silly. He will do something that fundamentally doesn't make a lot of sense, but he's one of these guys who's not afraid to try anything. He's fearless. Johnny Manziel, the straight drop, pumps, pulls it down, takes off running, sees openings, he's to the 25, stiff arm. The Aggies' 11-win season in 2012 was highlighted by an afternoon in Tuscaloosa. Alabama rush. Got him. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. oh my gracious. Yep. How about that? 
when number two ran sideline to sideline, exposing the holes in Nick Saban's defense. No holds barred. To see the stunned nature of the Alabama sideline, to see the big bad Alabama look like they didn't know what to do. Ball wobbles, it's caught. Touchdown. This little guy can't beat us on his own. He's Johnny Manziel, nobody knows who he is. Well, they couldn't get a hold of him, and he was the one who ended up getting them at the end. A superstar had been born. Johnny Football was his name. And a few months later, his more than 4,000 yards of total offense would make him the first freshman ever to win the Heisman. When we lose, you don't waste the failure. You know, you want to learn from what could we have done to help or correct the issues and problems that we had. That's what I learned through the years is important. If you're looking for a way to understand the resiliency of Nick Saban, you have to go back more than half a century to blue-collar origins and lessons learned the hard way. I've always kind of taken pride in the fact that I never want to change who I am. I spent a lot of time at my grandmother's house, and we had the Second Street Corner, which had the company store on one side and the church on the other. It was the hangout. That's where everything happened. Fights, games, kick the can. You know, you learned a lot of good things about life, and you learned a few bad ones. You know, my dad, when I went off to college, he said, I never want you to come back to this corner, but I never want you not to be able to be on this corner with the people on this corner. It doesn't matter what you accomplish, having compassion for other people, regardless of what their station in life is, treating everybody with respect. I mean, all these things I grew up with. People misunderstand him and they think he's difficult, complicated, but he's just the way he was brought up. It was an upbringing that took place in Monongah, West Virginia, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, coal country. The majority of the people that, uh, that went to school, their, their dads worked in the mines. That's what kept your economy going. His father's whole drive was to keep not only himself out of the coal mines, but to keep his kids out of the coal mines, particularly his son. Saban's father was known as Big Nick and the most important influence in his life. There's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's Big Nick's way. And Big Nick's way was always the right way, but it was pretty high standard. Big Nick owned a Dairy Queen and a gas station where his son worked. That was the hardest job I ever had. <laughs> Big Nick had a pretty high standard for how you treated customers, how you did your work. You gotta pay attention to detail. You gotta get the little things right. Big Nick demanded impossible perfection from his son. He would wash cars down at the uh, gas station. His father would come out and say, well, there's a little spot right there. Do the whole thing over. If he told you to cut the grass, then everybody sat down and ate dinner together at night. You know, he put his fist on the table and just cut the grass. Did you trim? Did you, you know, sweep? Did you put the mower away? Did you clean the mower? There was a reckoning. Fear, I don't know that fear was exactly right. I think respect was probably a better word, but I wasn't taking any chances. 
Big Nick also coached a youth football team, the Ida May Black Diamonds. They were disciplined and well-drilled and hardly ever lost. I always thought back to the people who tried to guide me in the right direction, and he was the main one. There was structure, and there was no deviation. I mean, if you didn't do it right, you didn't play. He demanded perfection from everybody. I can't tell you how many times we ran that hill. In fact, I worked out harder in Park Warner than I did at high school, college, or in the pros. I made a D in music class when I was in the eighth grade because I wouldn't stand up in front of the class and sing. My dad took me to Ida May Coal Mines. We went down 500-some feet, and he said, this is where you're going to end up if you don't get an education. I mean, if you've never been in a coal mine, you don't understand. You can stand there between me and you, and you turn your light out, and I turn my light out, and we can't see each other. It's just a given fact. If you worked in a coal mine, you're just going to get hurt. You know, there was lots of bad things happened in the coal mines. The lesson would not be wasted. Sabin would go on to become a member of the National Honor Society. His favorite subject, history. He was never one of the guys with his classmates. He was, they, you know, they, they all said he didn't go out and drink beer. You know, he didn't, he didn't stay out late. He did play football, though. And by his sophomore year, he was the starting quarterback at Monongah High. He spent hours picking apart the game film with his dad. And his senior season, he led the team to a state championship on a broken ankle. He wasn't the best player on the team. He wasn't the second best player on the team. But he was our leader. We didn't have but 300-something people in the whole school. You know, for such a little school to gather up that many great players to win state championships was fantastic. But the afterglow wouldn't last long. In November 1968, there was an explosion in Consolidation Coal's number nine mine. It was actually the change of shifts between midnight shift and day shift. And you get gas in the mine, they turn off the fan. And uh, I guess the new guy that came to work turned on the fan, and it caused a, an explosion. There was another explosion today in the mine, but the company ordered two more holes drilled into the shafts to find out whether any of the air down there can be breathed safely. Air samples would reveal that the tunnel couldn't sustain human life. 78 miners were killed in all. And you could see it blowing up for weeks. My granddad worked at that mines, and I remember guys that used to come in my dad's gas station Dewey Tarley or whoever it was. I mean, I remember these people like yesterday, and then they're just gone. It changed a lot of people's lives. That's 78 families. It wasn't about football no more. That's our life, and we go back at it, and we don't get discouraged. Sabin graduated from Monongah High School in the spring of 1969 and began a football odyssey at Kent State University in Ohio that fall. To see him come for them humble beginners and hear them stories that he, you know, went through, working at that gas station, how he was raised. He took pride in that stuff, man. 
Hold up, do it again. It drove him to being the coach that he is today, to being the man that he is today. DBs, get on it, let's go. Stumble bum first. On September 22nd, 1973, Nick Saban was in his first coaching job as a graduate assistant at Kent State when he got word from home. Big Nick had died suddenly of a heart attack. The father would never see the son coach a game. Big Nick demanded so much out of his son, and then he died early. Nick, to a certain degree, never really got to sort of fully please his father. You guys are soft, man. Not aggressive enough. I don't know if it's fulfilling a mission, but he's definitely followed in his dad's footsteps. You gotta keep pushing yourself, even when you get tired, even when you feel like you can't go. All right, that's when you take the next step. In the end of the day, if you meet your maker, he's not gonna ask you what your one-loss record was. He's gonna say, what kind of person were you? You know, it's just a fact that people in Monongah are gonna support him. He's my best friend. Like, when I got sick, he was one of the first people who called. I love him more than anything. After their November loss to Texas A&M in 2012, Alabama regrouped, ran the table, and went on to rout Notre Dame in the national championship game. The back-to-back -back titles and Saban's four overall as a head coach left college football pundits talking history and wondering if there was anything that could derail the Saban juggernaut. Every once in a while in the SEC, a miracle will shake up a given fall, even define it. But in 2013, Auburn fans got a double dose of the unforgettable. First came the miracle on the plains. 36 seconds left, fourth and 18. Georgia leading by one. Let's it go! Then came the Iron Bowl two weeks later. Touchdown, Auburn! And a tie game looking destined for overtime. Clock will be reset to one second. It'll be first and ten. They're going to try a field goal? And a lot of people would question why Nick Saban would try to kick a 57, 56, 57 yarder with a freshman kicker. Saban had the best team in the country by far. He was going for a three-peat. It was the arrogance of a great coach going, you know what, I can do it. They called the timeout, we talking on the sideline. One of my teammates, Ryan Smith, came up with the decision to start moving back. That gave Gus the idea to put me back there because I was the primary punt return guy. Auburn threw Chris Davis back to the safety. And Ryan Smith was like, man, I the one came up with it. Why y'all won't keep me back there? All right, here we go. 56-yarder. Number eight, blocked kick can go the other way, too. He's got to be careful and get it up. On the way. I mean, now he kicked it well. I mean, it was not a bad kick. It was just a, 
a little short. No, returned by Chris Davis. Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50. I was in the broadcast booth. I'm going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, Davis is going to run it. And then they turned my volume down because I started going a little nuts. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. The play and the game would be immortalized as kick six. Every now and then, the universe just swells up and gets you. He ran it back 109 yards! Saban removes chance from the equation as much, I think, as is possible. And then when luck does sneak up and bite you, on the odd, rare kick six, you can live with it. At Toomer's Corner that Saturday in Auburn, Chris Davis would be celebrated late into the night. Never to conquer, never to yield. And forever after in the hearts of Tiger fans. I usually have people just stare. Some of them would be bold to come up and ask, are you Chris Davis? The guy that ran the field goal back against Alabama, and I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> Oxford, home to William Faulkner and the University of Mississippi. It's an essential stop on a tour through the state, a town that embodies a charm of the Old South and never seems to get old, thanks in large part to the annual parade of new college students that bring new life to it every year. A five-minute walk down University Drive on a Saturday will take you to the Grove tailgate lighting up several times each fall. A carnival and family reunion all in one. On October 4th, 2014, ESPN's College Game Day set up shop here, remarkably for the first time in history, for a showdown between number three Alabama and number 11 Ole Miss. An absolute mass of humanity. The eyes of the college football world are focused on Oxford, Mississippi. It was electric. The town was teeming with activity and excitement. never been in an atmosphere in Mississippi at a football game like that. College game day, like the Grove, is of course a rollicking circus in its own right. For the last quarter century, a road show embracing the weekly national festival that is college football. Welcome to a bucket list edition of college game day. On this October morning, the show had not just energy, but a special guest fan superstar singer Katy Perry. Did you say LSU or LSP? No, I said LSU. <laughs> Pop culture and SEC football as one. These folks believe Mr. Howard. I have Alabama in a close one. Alabama in a close one. I think this game is going to be great. It's going to be competitive. 
but Alabama is going to win very, very close. Katie, your turn. <laughs> Are you There's a big football game that matters nationally. The University of Mississippi had a very good team, but you're talking about the University of Alabama and Nick Saban. They don't make a, a habit of losing many regular season games. Everyone is descended on the state of Mississippi to watch Alabama ruin the season for the Rebels. up in Mississippi, you know what Ole Miss and Mississippi State are capable of. They're going to lose these big games. Everybody's like, well, that was fun. Second and seven. Click. There we go. Laquan Treadwell, touchdown Ole Miss. It was the best kind of ecstasy in Oxford that went against what everyone was expecting. He's got it wide open. Touchdown, Vince Sanders. There was something in the air. Like, they just played out of their minds. And I'm like, this isn't, this, this is not the Oxford that I know. Ole Miss toppled the tide and grabbed their number three ranking to boot. The SEC fined us for allowing the goalposts to be torn down. We hardly ever get our goalposts torn down. So listen, if you're going to find us, go ahead and find us. It doesn't matter what it is. You're not going to take away this moment. This is one tremendous moment. Down in Starkville, Mississippi State had gotten off to a great start of their own in 2014. It was this incredible two weeks of validation for how they felt about their beloved programs. After the Bulldogs won their fifth straight game, College Game Day continued its tour through the state, coming to town just one week after the Ole Miss upset. Welcome to perhaps the loudest edition of College Game Day. Hey. Startville, Mississippi, here comes College Game Day, you know. Uh, they get into town pretty early and all these, all these people are freaking out. They hadn't seen this before. We're used to, you know, maybe winning seven or eight games and being happy with that. And then you, you, you're seeing all these big-time lights and TV crews and RVs coming to town. You're like, man, this, this is going to be special. The Bulldogs rose to the occasion, beating number two-ranked Auburn 
as quarterback Dak Prescott became a national name. There's Prescott. There goes Prescott. And Mississippi State climbed to number one in the polls. For the first time in school history, The state of Mississippi now had the number one and number three ranked teams in all of college football. Wait a minute, is that Ole Miss and Mississippi State right there, top five teams? Everyone had to take those two programs seriously as as national contenders because they had just beaten two teams they had no business beating. Any extra tickets for sale? You could see that state swell with pride. People are talking about us for the right reasons. It was this great release of pent-up frustration and stress that you can only get from a couple programs that love the game so much, even when the game very rarely loves them back. Ole Miss sat in the number three spot for three weeks before losing to LSU. Jennings, play action fake, throws into the end zone, touchdown, Logan Stokes. And Mississippi State was eventually beaten by Alabama after five weeks at number one. Then after all the jubilation, the two schools turned their attention to one another. That's an underrated rivalry. Uh, I would say next to Alabama-Auburn, Mississippi State and Ole Miss fans literally hate each other. As you're a kid, you're either either red and blue or you're maroon and white. You either hate Ole Miss or you either hate Mississippi State. It's a small state. As my friend Willie Moore said, it's too small to be a country and too big to be an insane asylum. (laughs) As the Bulldogs coach, Dan Mullen, refused to even say the name Ole Miss, wouldn't acknowledge them. Instead, simply calling the university that school up north. T-Sun, the school up north, T-S-U-N. So that, uh, that obviously lights a fire, because you know, all these people want to be, you know, University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, we want to be called our name. I think Mullen took the rivalry to a, a real bitter level. in this state everywhere you go for an entire year, and that makes it a pretty personal game. In enemy territory at Oxford, Dak Prescott and the Bulldogs were hoping to put the icing on the cake of an already historic season. Mississippi State, and they've got the lead. You know, usually it's Mississippi State going in carefree. Let's go, you know, let's go all out. we got nothing to lose. Whereas we had everything to lose that week all this cool stuff that had been going on, you know, all this persona, all these fireworks, all these people loving on you, they want this game just as bad as you do. It brings a lot of responsibility, and I think that built up on a team that hadn't had that. Cross. Very good pressure defensively as Walton. Ole Miss would steal the victory from the Bulldogs and claim the golden egg. 
Not to mention, emotions may be even more priceless. On top of that, we had a uh, bus wreck that night on the way back to Starwell. That bus ran off the road, hit a sign, knocked some windows out, had some guys get cut up and stuff. Within 10 minutes, uh, Ole Miss had sent a bus to us to put some put the guys on there. Pretty cool gesture there after they had uh, kind of whooped our tail down there in Oxford. Both teams ultimately finished with losses in bowl games, but that fall of 2014 is all still unforgettable, frozen in time, when the state of Mississippi was at the center of the college football world. Flip it, let's go, come on. By 2015, two seasons had passed since Alabama had made the national championship game. Down here, let's go, hustle up, hustle up, let's go. But in Nick Saban's world, success and failure are measured in smaller increments. Day to day, practice to practice, play to play. There you go, there you go, there you go, let's go. I learned that you don't focus on the outcome. Uh, you focus on what you have to do to get the outcome that you want. Go, punch, punch. For the first 20 years I was a coach, I was outcome-oriented. I, and I think that affected uh, how I went about my work, how I developed relationships with other people, uh, how I taught and coached players. All right, we're in nickel now. Let's go nickel, flex, buckeye. When you focus on the process and you're not so worried about the outcome, it's a lot easier to stay on a on a even playing. Set, go, punch. It's not, punch. we need to make sure we go 14 and 0. It's, what are you going to do to make sure on this next play you can make the right block so that Mark Ingram can squeeze through the hole? Under O, double seven, make four. It was about playing to your standard as hard as you possibly can 150 times at seven seconds a pop. Now hold it, hold it. How do you play clip? Bring it back. You got the guy inside and up the field. I can't control what happened yesterday, the day before that, or last week, or 10 years ago. I can only focus on what's directly in front of me. On your feet, let's go. In spite of another loss to Ole Miss, in the middle of that 2015 season, the Crimson Tide would regroup and work their way into the national championship game against Clemson. Derrick Henry had won the school's second Heisman Trophy. Watson rolling out, takes a downfield shot, running through the end zone! Touchdown Tigers as they answer the time score! And Saban had taken a risk a year earlier by hiring the controversial but talented offensive assistant, Lane Kiffin, the former head coach at rival Tennessee. He brought me there because he wanted to change. And he specifically said, I feel like the game has changed, but we need to change with that. Nick Saban, serious, tough. He saw the way offense was going in the SEC and he realized he needed an innovative mind. Loops it downfield, Howard is wide open and the tight end will walks to the end zone. And so it was obviously a much different offense than what had been there before. Early in the fourth quarter, with the game tied at 24, Saban gambled. An onside kick, 
turned the momentum, and Alabama would hang on to win 45 to 40. And Clemson was the better team in 15. Should have won the game, and Saban pulls out. What I thought at the time was the greatest decision in college football history. But Alabama now starts to celebrate. It was Nick Saban's fifth national championship and Alabama's fourth in seven years. After uh, Saban won the national championship, there was an article in the Birmingham News, and it began with the uh, <laughs> disclaimer. I know this sounds sacrilegious, but Nick Saban is our Jesus Christ. <laughs> to which I thought, yes, that, that does seem sacrilegious to me. But on the other hand, uh, if in fact the Bible is correct when it says that uh, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. One of the poorest states in America spends an awful lot of money on football coaches and facilities. In January 2017, Alabama would face off once again against Clemson with another national title on the line. Watson, touchdown! Clemson Tigers, new kings of college football, dethrones and avenges Alabama. I was scheduled to speak to the Red Elephant Club in Tuscaloosa the following week. The town was still in mourning when I got there. But I'm talking to one gentleman, and I just came up to him and said, you know, Alabama really had quite a season. And he looked at me he was with a straight face, didn't break a smile. He said, yeah, but we got to find a way to get over it and bounce back from it. I said, you're within one second of winning the national championship. So, yeah, that's, that's the way that, uh, that Alabama looks at it. When you're on a journey up, Boy, it's exciting. But once you're on top, the expectations become unbelievable. And winning becomes a relief. You don't celebrate a victory. Losing becomes devastating. It's the head coach who says, I hate losing more than I like winning. It's, that's the thing that keeps him up at night. It takes a superhuman effort to beat Alabama, and it happens so infrequently that you can't, it can't help but stick with you. Get him up. Let's go. Success is not a continuum. It's momentary. All right, let's go. Come but on. if you want to be successful, up. Let's go. you have to have consistency in performance, and you have to prove and show that you can do it over time, and that is totally abnormal. All right, now, if this guy goes in or out, you're doubling three. You know, a lot of people would have just said, you know what, two or three Nash titles, this is pretty good. It's a pretty good resume. Uh, I'm going to slack off a little bit, you know, but not him. On January 8th, 2018, Alabama was back in the national championship game, this time against an SEC rival, Georgia. The Bulldogs were led by Kirby Smart. Smart had been born in Alabama, played for Georgia, then worked as an assistant for Bama before injecting new life into his alma mater as their head coach. The Bulldogs had beaten Oklahoma in a dramatic double overtime finish in the Rose Bowl. Sonny Michelle will send the go! 
the championship game. They kept their momentum going in Atlanta. They keep it. Dominating Alabama in the first half to take a 13-0 lead. The dogs bark it in the first half. Alabama's sidelines was just dead, you know, and Georgia's was electric. That was the first time in a long time an Alabama team seemed like they could be defeated. True to form, Nick Saban responded by taking a chance, benching his quarterback, Jalen Hurts. He was struggling, and it was a very bold move by Saban. Nick Saban said, what do I have to lose? Into the game was the backup, freshman Tua Tungavailoa. Are you kidding me? I mean, this is the biggest game. You've got Jalen Hurd sitting at 26-2 as a starter to sit down your quarterback that's gotten you to back-to-back national championship games and say, hey, this is not about ego. This is about winning a football game, and I think he gives us the best chance. That's gutsy. Tungvaloa has all night hit hard, spinning around, trying to escape and create, and now he's in the clear. The freshman shows some toughness. When that play happened, the crowd goes crazy. Alabama players are going crazy. I think that's where Nick Saban said, all right, we can throw this playbook at him. End zone. Touchdown! Look at Baloa. Plenty of time. Surveying the field. Fires end zone. game ultimately went into overtime. Hot Rod just slides it through. And Alabama needed a field goal to tie. A touchdown to win. Ungabaloa circling back. Drops a disastrous first down play. Taking a 16-yard loss and Nick Saban about to come on onto the field and strangle his freshman quarterback. Things aren't looking good. It was second and 26 from the Georgia 41. Think about Loa trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! One of the most memorable finishes you can put up there with anyone. It was. (laughs) And a win that for once... Even Nick Saban couldn't resist celebrating. Seeing him go on the field like a fan is something we never saw. There was always the joke that Nick hated winning championships simply for the fact of he had to do a parade which cut into his recruiting time. If there was ever a time to live in the moment, it was this one. A sixth national title tying him with Bear Bryant. Over a decade, Nick Saban had waged war with Auburn, LSU, Georgia, and even an ACC interloper in Clemson, and come out of it returning Alabama to the very top of college football. The Alabama brand right now is because of Saban, because of Saban, is about winning. Kids in New York City and other places know of the University of Alabama because of the excellence of their football program. Alabama has more road scholars now than it did before Nick Saban came. At the same time, we've got all this, these changes in Alabama. Birmingham is not the steel giant it was anymore. It's a high-tech, it's a, a medical center city. It's, a, it's really a city kind of on the rise and one that's very modern. 
to a certain degree, sort of his rise sort of mirrors the rise of the state. It's just the latest chapter of a remarkable history that goes back 120 years, tracing 17 national championships in all. We have success here because we have a great team. You, the fans, and your passion and your energy has contributed to the success here as much as anything, and I can't tell you how much we appreciate that. For Nick Saban, it had been quite the odyssey. With his wife, Terry, his high school sweetheart, by his side the entire time, She's played a huge role in every decision he's made. You know, they always say that the woman behind the man, I think to a certain degree, they're equal partners in all of this. One summer, not too long ago, the Sabins went back home to West Virginia for a visit. And the story goes, Nick spotted an old boyfriend of Terry's pumping gas at a local station. Dick turns to her and says, you know what, if you married him, you'd be running a gas station. She turns back to him and says, you know, if I married him, he'd be the coach of Alabama football. In Starkville, Mississippi, Go dogs and hail state! On a recent Thanksgiving day, it all began with a deep-fried turkey and continued with a proposal. We got engaged, <laughs> right in front of the bulldog. I asked her would she marry me, and then I had to ask her again if she would give me an answer because she was crying. <laughs> you? The day would end in defeat to arch-rival Ole Miss. But over on the sideline after the game, Senior Donald Gray Jr. wasn't crying because the Bulldogs lost. He was crying because he missed the last game of his career with an injury. Good thing a friend named Jesse Grogan was there to console him. Over the last two to three years, after every game, he gravitated towards my little girl. He would pick her up, take her over the fence, big hugs, made sure he was always there for her. He has done wonders for her, and she has done wonders for him. Two best friends ever, okay? Say yes, sir. What you saw tonight was the final goodbye between Jesse and Donald and Donald Bray. That that was brutal. Yeah. Bittersweet. Yeah. What you want me? Jesse's mom. What's his name? I'll give him a name. Now I'll let you know. Here at Mississippi State, there are no barriers. The players are completely connected with the fans, and we watch them grow up. We watch those kids become young men. Say we love you. Good luck. Say we love you forever. September of 2018, Florida's SEC opener, former Mississippi State head coach Dan Mullen's first game in charge of the Swamp. Four blocks away. That, that's good stuff right there. 
Bubba Ennis and his Gator Nation, who a few years ago were honored with ESPN's SEC Tailgater of the Year Award, had actually been banned for the week from partying outside Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. Let me hear you scream! They were just too rowdy the previous Saturday. They pretty much asked us to move to another location. We were partying very hard, singing loudly, and doing a lot, a lot of Gator chants. And we were dancing on coolers. But at Gator Nation's tailgate, the enthusiasm didn't appear to be dampened one bit. Back at the stadium, the Gators were facing the Kentucky Wildcats, who hadn't beaten Florida in their last 31 attempts, and were coming into a hostile environment, the swamp, at night. Being from Kentucky, I mean, obviously you hear that your whole life when you're growing up and, you know, it's week two or week three and we got Florida. We always hear the old Kentucky fans talking about how we're going to lose it somehow. All we got is each other, that's all we need! For your brother, from first step to last step. Touchdown, Kentucky! Kentucky had made strides under coach Mark Stoops, who had built his team around a swarming defense. Led by All-American Josh Allen. We're just going to go in there and play ball and outman him. I feel like that was our mindset. A battering ram of a running back named Benny Snell Jr. And a whole lot of passion from a kid from Painesville, Kentucky, Cash Daniel. UK athletics is like religion. You got the Bible belt, you also got the UK fan belt. Wilson with a play fake. All kinds of time. He is throwing deep. Bowden's out there. Got it! Touchdown, Kentucky! Kentucky built an 11-point lead. hung on for victory, their first over Florida since 1986. I feel like this year was the first year we never thought about the streak. We didn't play for the streak, we would play for each other. After 31 long games, the streak ends. There's a lot of emotion out there. Me and Coach Stoops after that game, and I picked him up and I hugged him and I, and I thanked him for believing in me. It was just something you'd see in a movie. Every single person in this locker room contributed something, and that's what it takes. We took a giant step forward tonight. Wildcats would finish the 2018 season with 10 wins, including a victory over Penn State in the Citrus Bowl. They had not had a winning SEC record since that 1977 team with Derek Ramsey and Arch Still. Stars Benny Snell Jr. and Josh Allen decided to play, risking injury before the upcoming NFL draft. I want to finish what I started, and I want to finish with the right crew. With Allen 
Allen now getting by his pass protector, and Josh Allen gets home again. This just shows the definition of being a teammate. For Josh and Benny, it was just a, for the love of, for us. They loved us so much. You know, to get those 10 wins like we did, and to have this rock on my finger now forever, you know, that's, that's something that I always hold in my heart. Winding through the Dardanelle Mountains to Fayetteville, Arkansas, it was an emotional day for Razorback fans around the state in the spring of 2019. Tusk Four was making his last pilgrimage to an Arkansas football game. If you ever wondered what it was like to travel with a rock star, just take a trip with us. People are constantly trying to get pictures. He hams it up. He will go that side of the trailer when they take a picture and kind of pose for him. People always laugh at me and say, ooh, that's gross, how can you kiss a pig? And I will say, well, do you kiss your dog? Well, he's my dog. The lady asked me one time, said, how does it feel to pull in the stadium and have 75,000 people screaming? I said, well, the first thing you gotta remember is they're not screaming at you. They're screaming what's in that trailer out there. Suey, you do that three times, and on the fourth time, it's Razorbacks. Around the SEC, everyone is familiar with War Eagle, Mike the Tiger, and of course, the cover boy of mascots, Ugga, down in Athens, Georgia. But there is also Tusk. We understand, you know, Ugga's kind of the royalty. He set the bar. But uh, we, we think, you know, we're just as special. Keith Stokes and his family have watched over each generation of the mascot since his SEC introduction in 1996. Everyone in Arkansas, you know, they always come up to him and we're like, they're like, oh, he's so cute. But then you get people from LSU, Alabama, and they're like, oh, he's a pig. Well, that's what you think, but to us, he's a lot more than just a pig. At nine years of age, Tusk Four may have lost a step, but on this day was clearly still beloved by Razorback fans in his final tour of duty. There's no other Razorbacks as a mascot anywhere in the country, so we're very fortunate to have such a unique and awesome mascot here with us. Well, that's part of it, but she loves them. Well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and if you have a live mascot, something you can actually see and touch, it's much better than like a Trojan. I grew kind of attached to him last year, so started bringing him watermelon and stuff for treats, but yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll miss him when he's gone. He was destined to join his predecessors on the Stokes family farm. But here he soaked in the adulation one final time. I've watched you struggle and I watched you wrestle with them angels, but I watched you grow up and become men. I watched you become men. Listen to the cheer for Billy Cannon as he comes off the field. Right out of merit. 
Harkonnen goes back to ball. He's looking. He's looking. He's firing deep on the left flat. It's complete. We like to insist on you smiling. I'm the world's champion frowning, so I'll, I'll do the frowning for all of you. He's like a thoroughbred racehorse. Bo Jackson. He breaks it back. Herschel! Herschel Walker! Do it for this team. Do it for those Gators up in heaven. We're number one. Hip, hip, hooray! Hip, hip, hooray! You're the greatest group of guys that I've ever been around as a team, and I love you. I remember Coach Dahl always tell us when we'd walk out and it was 80, 90,000, how many ever is in the stadium, he'd look up there, he'd say, man, they had a soul up there in that stand that wouldn't want to wear that jersey that you're wearing right now. He said, you better love it. And we loved it. I mean, I still get chill bumps when I think about it. Every Saturday in the South, from the end of summer through the heart of fall, we're reminded just how much we still need it. I'm not sure passion's a strong enough word to tell you the truth. It's incredible to see a great-grandfather carrying their great-grandson to a game. They can barely walk. Neither one can really walk. We're reminded just how much a game can bring us together, even as it appears to tear us apart. That's what family do. We follow each other. We support each other. It's not just about football. We're reminded how proud it can make us feel, how young it can make us feel, how connected we could be to so many yesterdays. You learn along the way it's not about you. It's about us. I'm a part of that Alabama history. I'm not the history. Being on a team, that's what life is all about. Football didn't begin in the South, and it certainly didn't begin with the Southeastern Conference. But that doesn't mean, all these years later, that it can't feel that way sometimes. People will come up to me, you know, I'll be in a restaurant and they'll see me, and they're kind of looking at you, you know, and they'll walk over on the way out and it's like, I appreciate you, I appreciate you, you know, and thank you. The game reminds us who we are as powerfully as anything else we have. Every Saturday in the South and well beyond. We say, you know, football is religion down here, but it's not. If you've ever seen an old man rise up out of the water with his face all alight with faith, then you know that, 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 no, football's not that. But it's pretty close.